is a life characterized by real deep faith in God and experiencing depression a possibility? Absolutely it is. In fact, names across the scripture, Moses, David, Elijah, and more wrestled with just this reality, much like the reality of many of our lives. How do we hold on to God and stand well with one another? This is what we explore today as we look into the scripture. So glad that you're here. Listen, there's lots of people who don't want to talk about it, or maybe there's only certain places to talk about it, right? Some of you immediately said, I'm not talking about it. I saw you. But here's the deal. Uh, we live in an era and a time where mental health is a greater challenge than ever, and so we are talking about it, and today we're going to talk about it. Uh, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be a little bit heavy at a few moments, uh, but we just believe that when we talk about the real things of life, not like the convenient things of life, not like God over here and life over here, when we actually bring the two together the way God always intended, that he has something to say about everything in our lives without condemnation, without judgment to step in and offer the kind of help and hope that we need, we, we can expect that he'll show up really, really well. So here's what I wanna say, we've been saying it every single week. I don't know what you believe or what you think, but for whatever struggle you or your people might be going through, there is help. There is help. There is help. You may have looked a number of places and it has not felt helpful, but I'm just telling you, there is help. God will show up and provide help and strength to you that cannot be found anywhere else. I'm not saying he's the only place you should look, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm saying we should never look less than to God for his help. No one loves you more or wants better for you than he does. And when we partner with him and embrace the help that he has, uh, we find ourselves with hope. Tell somebody around you, there is hope. Somebody around here is like right on the edge of like hopelessness. In fact, stats would say about one in 12 for sure are experiencing a significant degree of hopelessness around us. And y'all just need to know there is hope. Like this is our hope, that Jesus called us back to him, will put us back together in every way. You've heard it sung about, you've heard it talked about, we've celebrated it in communion, but you just need to know there's good news. God is not against you, he is for you. God is not pushing you away, he is chasing after you. God is not frustrated with the failures you've had so far. He wants to walk you out of them. God does not want you to be ashamed of the things that are challenging you right now, the things that you can't seem to get past on your own. He never wanted you to. He wants to lean in and provide the kind of help and hope. And the story of Jesus is this. Not that life would be easy, but that it would matter and he would win in the end. The moment he called us back to us, followers of Jesus, I just never want us to lose sight of our hope. And any of you who are looking for better, this is the hope, that Jesus enters our struggle right now with us, giving his word to guide us, his people to surround us, and his strength and spirit to carry us forward. He carries us through all the darkest valleys. He does not rescue us out of all of them, but he never leaves us alone in them. We have hope now. And more than that, followers of Jesus, we have hope later. There is a day coming when Jesus will make every single thing right, where everything will be turned right side up. You only need to read Revelation 21 to get just a glimpse of what this might be like, where God says, you will be with me and I will be with you. I will be your God, you will be my people. I will wipe every single tear from every single eye. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so listen, I just wanna say to some of you in struggle and like slogging through life, just trying to put one foot in front of the other, there is help in God and in his people and in his word. And there is hope 
for God's presence in the midst of it right now and his rescue in the end, and we need to hold on to both. In fact, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter four. It says, so then, since we have Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe, and what we believe is he's with us, for us, and he'll carry us, that we can keep going because he's got us. He understands our weaknesses because he faced all of them, a man of sorrows, the scripture calls him, the same testings that we do, yet he never failed. I don't think any of us can say that, but he can. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, not our judgmental God, not our condemning God, not our get your stuff together God, our gracious God. And there what we'll find is mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Truth is, some of us really do need some help. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna hold on to two ends of things that often feel like they are separate, but they are not. Across the story of God's people, there have been people who were history-shaping, faithful people who encountered and partnered with God to make massive impact that we talk about millennia later. People like Moses, ever heard of this guy named Moses? Epic rescue, we'll talk about him in a minute. There's a guy named David, a warrior poet, a king, who slayed thousands, who like conquered lands, who made things, he did amazing stuff, a man after God's own heart, shaping like the pinnacle of kingship in the history of God's people before Jesus. The prophets along the way, a guy named Elijah, a number of folks made massive impact, lived long, substantial, meaningful lives. And their lives were marked by significant depression. Which to me says this, that faith and depression absolutely can coexist. That in the real lived experience of our lives, depression, whether temporary, seasonal, situational, clinical, spiritual, whatever sort we might experience, It does not eliminate us from God's plan. It does not distance us from him. It is not a mark that God has forgotten or abandoned us. Instead, it's a place that he leans in. If the the greatest rescuer in the Old Testament before Jesus, Moses struggled with it, it's probably okay that we do. If David, the greatest king, struggled with it, it's probably okay that we do. If Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, struggled with it, then it's probably okay that we do. And so we can just embrace the two. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And it's important that we talk about it. Because the truth is, uh, in 2021, about one in five people experienced a major depressive episode. What that means is not necessarily to have clinical depression, but experienced many of the symptoms of depression for an extended time, two weeks or more. Significant major depressive episode. When you go to young adults, ages 17 to 25, it's almost one in three. You go to adolescents, it's over one in three particularly among women and young girls. Not because maybe it's more prevalent, but because it's more acknowledged. The prevalence is substantial. You need only look around this room to find a young adult. One in three in the last year likely has gone through a two-week period of hopelessness, despair, struggle to put one foot in front of the other or find the will to do anything that they've always enjoyed for their whole life. It is a significant challenge that is being faced. And what makes it complicated is that there's a whole range of experience with depression, 
ranging from mild to moderate to severe, depending on how many symptoms for how long and how impaired a person's life is or their ability to function, just doing day-to-day tasks. There's a number of kinds of depression. There's situational depression, sometimes called an adjustment disorder. What that means is that some significant event has come into our life. We talked deeply about grief last week. If you missed it and you are struggling with grief, I encourage you, Kevin was so helpful last week. Depression is an aspect of navigating the journey of grief. The fatigue of that, when you experience that kind of loss and that kind of change, we experience a sort of depression that lasts varying times for varying people. Or perhaps a trauma has come into your life, an unexpected event, a health diagnosis, some sort of carnage from someone else's life coming into yours that changed everything. All of that can be an instigator for situational depression that can develop into other kinds. To lighten up for just a minute, but not too much, uh, I come from the Midwest. Anybody come from the Midwest? Anybody? Anybody? Woohoo! We made it out, right? Listen, when you hit winter out there, it just gets gray forever. And while some people complain about it, others experience something that is legit called seasonal affective disorder, which is another sort of depression. It it significantly impairs and can inhibit people's lives. It's while we kind of joke about how great the weather is out here, it's not a joke for these folks. It's a real struggle. And then of course there's clinical depression, which is not related to the incidents of our lives. And it's actually really hard to identify where that comes from. But what is true is that things in our brain physiologically do not function the way that other people's lives function. And it becomes debilitating. It is crushing for people who are navigating this. And it is not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of trying. We cannot look at this and say, why don't you just get happy? Why don't you get informed? (laughs) Because this is substantial struggle for people. We'll also talk today about another sort of depression that you won't find in the DSM-5 or anywhere else in the clinical stuff. I'm not a clinical professional, but I'll tell you, you won't find it. But there is another sort that we see in the scripture called spiritual depression. We'll talk gently and delicately about it. Because it's not the only kind, and often it's, uh, we'll get there. But here's what I want to say, because uh, some people, uh, man, we just, we start to experience life, and we feel like we got to grind it out, and we feel like asking for help is a sign of weakness, and we just never want to put labels on ourselves along the way, and we end up missing out on the help, and depression is the kind of thing that takes you places that you can't come back from, and so we can't afford to ignore, and we can't afford to not pay attention around us to our people. It may not be you, or let me say this, it may not be you today but we need to pay attention for what this looks like so we can reach for the kind of help that we need. Of course we always need God's help, and we need God's help first, but it may not be the only kind of help that we need. So before I go any farther, I wanna encourage you to take a picture of this QR code right quick. What we've done is try to collect up a whole bunch of resources, many really solid resources around depression where you can find the kind of help that you need, whether it's clinical help, whether it's counseling or mental health professional help along the way, whether it's some signs and signals that help you kind of diagnose where you are and what kind of help might be needed. You can pay attention to the lives of people around you. It may not be you today, but I encourage you to grab onto this. I'm gonna take just a minute because uh, I just don't want anybody leaving here thinking that there's something wrong with them or feeling shameful when actually what you're struggling with is depression. 
And so I, there's many places online you can find this list, but I just wanna just list some of these things. And if you find yourself in many of these categories saying, oh, that's me, wait, that's also me, yeah, that's me every day, I just wanna encourage you, it might be time to reach for some help. In fact, there was a young girl who uh, had just had her second child and uh, she wandered into a, a counselor's office only because a loving friend who had earned the right to say this said, you are sick and you need help. And she was mad at her friend, but her friend was right. And so when she wandered into the counselor's office and her counselor started reading through this list and she realized, I'm every single one of those every single day for as long as I can remember. It finally set her on a path to help that she desperately needed. If you're experiencing feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, and most of all, hopelessness on a regular basis, now maybe you've just lost someone and there's a time of grief, but if that has extended and continues going, we gotta pay attention to that. Maybe life's more and more characterized by angry outbursts. You're irritable, you're frustrated, even over small matters. You experience yourself like, why am I so angry about this? There might be a reason. Maybe you have a loss of interest or pleasure in some of the most normal activities that you deeply enjoyed for the longest time. Maybe you have sleep disturbances. Either you're sleeping way too much from fatigue or you're not able to sleep at all. It can go either way in different people. Maybe there's a tiredness or a lack of energy so that even the smallest tasks take immense, unreasonable effort. Like you reach for the thing that normally helps you do the thing that's in front of you and find nothing there. Maybe you have a reduced appetite or weight loss or on the other side, some people have increased cravings of food and weight gain. There's a change though recently that's significant. Maybe there's anxiety or agitation, restlessness. Maybe your thinking is slowing down and your speaking or body movements are also slowing down and people are noticing this in you or you're noticing it in yourself. Maybe feelings of worthlessness or guilt, fixating on your past failures, just ruminating, running them over and over and over or blaming yourself for pretty much everything. If you have trouble thinking, concentrating, making decisions, or remembering things. Listen, any one of these things we might experience for a time once in a while, but if you're experiencing many of these things ongoing, it may not be a lack of effort. It's probably not a lack of faith. It's probably we need some help. If you have thought often or regularly about harming yourself or taking your own life, we're gonna talk about those challenging things in a couple weeks, but you need to seek help immediately. You need to, you, we need you here. Someone needs to hear that. We need you here, right? So I don't know what your brain might be telling you or what your situation might be telling you, but I'm gonna tell you and somebody around you needs to tell you, we need you here. And so listen, I don't know what you thought about depression walking in. It's not just sadness. It's substantial. It shuts people down all the way. And so we need to be attentive and careful, not just for ourselves, but for people around us. Now listen, I, I've told, said this each week, I'm not a mental health professional, I'm not here to diagnose you, but I'm just saying if you're experiencing those, you need to reach for people who are. And at the same time, we need to know how to be people who cling to God in the midst of this. Because here's the thing about depression, it's not a lack of faith. 
And it's not that God forgot you. It's not a sign of failure. It's not new, and it is not the end. What it is, is a reality of almost everyone's lived human experience. And in the midst of that, we can cling to help and hope, particularly from God. And for any of those who are around people who are in seasons of struggle, we can be help and hope for them. I wanna show a few versions of this to you. I wanna show us how God steps in to help and how we can cling to others around. And I'm gonna show you that through three stories. I've already mentioned them, Moses, David, and Elijah. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to grab it right now. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Yesterday, I was so worked up, I said it's the third book of the Bible. It's actually the fourth. So if you just go to the table of contents and hang it right, you're gonna end up there, okay? Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, we find this guy named Moses. And Moses was a heroic rescuer. 40 years had lived substantial in Egypt. 40 years after a huge failure trying to lead his way, ends up in exile, and God shows up and says, you, you're gonna help me rescue two million of my people out of slavery from the world's superpower. Let's go. And along the way, they do exactly that. You should read it in the book of Exodus. But by the time we come to Numbers, God has miraculously rescued God's people out of Egypt. And instead of the food they have, along with the slavery that was miserable, along, instead of the food they had, what they are doing is that each day they're being fed by God in a miraculous way, but every day they're eating the same thing. Two million people camping their way through the desert, eating the same thing every single day. Can you imagine the level of whining? Anyone? Two million people, all with an opinion, most of them negative. And here Moses, who never really wanted the job anyway, but trusted God enough to do it, finds himself in despair. I lost my bookmark, Numbers chapter 11. Here it is. So Moses calls out to God, and I just want to say this is the first place we should start. And we can be honest. Watch how honest Moses is. God, why are you treating me this way? Why are you treating me so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land that you promised them? that you swore to give their ancestors. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me and saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. This is a dark moment. This is not a flippant conversation with God. This is an accumulation of fatigue that leads to the kinds of things we've been describing that many people live and experience. So just listen to what Moses said. Can, you, can God actually handle your actual life expressed in real language with all the emotion you carry with it? Absolutely, he can. You need only read the Psalms. Listen, whatever language you speak to your friends with, you should probably use that language with God. He's hearing you already. What Moses is experiencing is pretty significant. It's what we call situational depression. It's one of the kinds of depression. That an incident comes into your life, a level of stress builds up to the point that you find yourself find, uh, like uh, experiencing depression or a traumatic event instigates this kind of thing. 
And it's a season where many of those symptoms are experienced for a significant amount of time. But I just want you to note, I don't know how long Moses had been experiencing this, but he finally calls out to God and God has an immediate response. Verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you. So you will not have to carry it alone. God never promised a life without burden. He gives people free, free will. And so people make choices that hurt them and hurt you. And so trauma and stress is gonna find its way into your life and sometimes that's gonna lead to a season of depression. And what God is saying is reach for me. I see you. He never promised that we would ever go without burden. He promised that we would never have to be alone. The moment Moses calls out to God, he finds a response. God engages, God hears you, he sees you. He does not need you to grapple your way back in his direction or unbehave all the things that have happened in recent seasons as you have struggled with the deep grief, loss, anxiety, depression, whatever it is along the way. He meets us where we are and finds some help. Moses found out real quick that he was not alone and someone needs to hear this, you are not alone. You feel alone, you may be isolating, but God is near. The scripture says he's near to the brokenhearted. He comes close to those who are crushed. He is near, there is help, you are not alone. This is what Moses experienced first. Then Moses experienced that God had not given up on the purpose that he had given Moses. He called him to rescue people out of slavery and he intended to finish that. Depression, like despair, hopelessness, did not excuse or relieve Moses from partnering with God. God would not give up on him. This would not be where it ended, even though it felt like that to Moses. God said, I have still called you. I am with you, I have still called you. You are not alone and you have purpose. Some of you don't feel like you have purpose and some people around you feel like they don't have purpose but they absolutely do. And finally, there is help and hope. Did you see what God did? Let me surround you with some people so you don't bear this alone. Followers of Jesus, the scripture is very clear. Bear one another's burdens. And let me just tell you, if you haven't learned yet, standing next to someone experiencing deep depression it's a burden to bear, and it is an honor. This is what God said, I'll be with you, I'll surround you, we're not done, let's go. You are not alone, you have purpose. There is help and there is hope. David, a great king, experienced the same thing. If you flip in your Bibles over to 2 Samuel chapter 11, find your way there on the app, you can scan this, or better yet, maybe just take a picture of this and come back to these passages, because I'm not gonna have time to go deep into these. David experienced depression in many seasons of his life. There was a long list of reasons for him to be depressed. He was one of the least favored in his family. When all the other sons were lined up to maybe be king, he was the one tending the sheep in the distance, the forgotten son on the edge along the way. He experienced family challenge along the way. Then when he was anointed king, the existing king chased him relentlessly trying to end him. God protected him miraculously along the way. And then even in the midst of this chase, even in the midst of this battle, he would lose his very best friend, and you should read of his grief. It is deep. 
David knew something of depression. The Bible was not written as like a mental health guide. That was not its purpose. But I tell you, as you look across the life of David, you see marks of depression everywhere. And he was a warrior poet, a king victorious in so many directions. He experienced all kinds of depression, but I do wanna say something. Because of the role that we have in this conversation, I wanna be really delicate here. I wanna call what David experienced in the moment you'll read about in 2 Samuel, spiritual depression. Now, I wanna say this. We believe around here that everything is at least spiritual, but not everything is only spiritual. Did y'all hear me earlier say there are physiological issues at play in depression? There are psychological issues and there are significant things that come into our life where depression finds its way into our lives, not of our making. And the last thing I wanna do in the next few minutes is make anyone experiencing depression feel like it's your fault. Vast majority of the time, absolutely not. But there is a kind of depression that we can bring on ourselves. We don't bring physiological, we don't bring psychological, we don't even bring situational depression on ourselves, but there is a kind that we do sometimes. And David did this. For all of his season of following God well, he came to a season where he turned his back on God and did things his own way. Can anyone relate? Can I get a head nod? He's not the only one. And he did this to such an extreme extent that he experienced a kind of weight and depression that was the result of his choices. Not all depression is that, did you hear me say that? But because we're in a spiritual conversation, we have to say there are times we bring this kind of thing on ourselves where we choose to do things that are counter to the way God intended. The Bible calls it sin and it wrecks stuff. And God is not condemning us, he's correcting us when we experience this kind of depression. He's making it so that we cannot find satisfaction in the way we are going because the way we are going will ruin us. This is what David experienced. This king who had many wives looks across and sees a woman that he wants and nothing short of sexual abuse ensues and she becomes pregnant. He decides to cover his track by killing her husband in the most subversive, dark, deceptive way. And then tries to cover it all over as he expects the arrival of a child. He finds himself, and I don't know for how long, but in a deep anguish. Not because of situational, not because of physiological, but because of his choices. And this is what he says in Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, which means to to name it, to bring it into the light, to just say, yes, that happened. When I refused to confess my sin, he said, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. And I gotta shoot you straight. Sometimes when people I know and love are headed away that's gonna crush them, I actually pray for this, that they would have no satisfaction in the direction that they are going. Because a loving father won't celebrate you heading to your own demise. He says, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And if you read in your Bibles, you'll see a little word there that says selah or interlude. He just sits in it for a minute, remembering what it was like. Then in verse five, it says, finally, I confessed. I just acknowledged it. I said out loud what's happening. He had lived in denial and gone his own way. Anyone ever live in denial? Anyone? Anyone? The trouble with denial is you don't know you're in it. I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess 
my rebellion to the Lord. And this is what he says to God, you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Listen, if you're experiencing depression, and uh, I don't wanna suggest that this is the plan, but I do wanna say, followers of Jesus, we should be marked by repentance, always acknowledging ways that we are heading differently than God, and the moment he corrects us, to just acknowledge it and turn back, because God won't condemn you, he won't judge you, he will correct you and guide you to better. And so some of you may have a sense that the struggle and the season of challenge that you have been in, you know God's been telling you to do something and you just haven't done it. You might be making your own struggle. And so just ask God, God, is there anything in you you wanna correct with me? The end of Psalm 139 is perfect for this. God, test me. God, see if there's any offensive way in me. God, lead me in the way everlasting. This will not fix everything. I am not saying pray it all away. I'm just saying always pray. And I'm just saying, if you have a sense that this is you, turn because there is relief. Psalm 51, after David had turned back toward God, he said, creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Don't put me away from your presence. He knew what life with God was like, and then he took a, like a turn running from God, doing his own thing. He saw the two, and he never wanted the second one again. And so he says, renew a loyal spirit in me. Don't banish me from your presence, and don't take your spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy. God, bring back the joy of living holy with you. Salvation is not just like safety in the end. Salvation is made whole, right with God. Restore to me that kind of joy. Listen, uh, a physical issue cannot be addressed only through prayer. Some of you, some of us, have significant mental challenge that is physiological and requires the help of a doctor and sometimes medicine. And it would be crazy to know that that is true and not seek the kind of help that we need. We do not just address that with prayer, right? We always do both. We seek the kind of help that we need. If we need the help of talk therapy or, or cognitive behavioral therapy or any number of other things, they're gonna help us navigate and live the kind of contribution that God has for us and thrive in relationships. We need to pursue those kind of things. We can't fail to do the things that help that help. We should always pray. Not only pray, but I also wanna say, if what you're experiencing in your life is primarily spiritual, no medicine or any other help is going to fix it. Both are equally true, and we need to explore all the help. This is why we cling to God. It can be either or both. We should never presume or begin with the presumption of guilt or that our mistakes are causing this, but we should be willing to ask God, especially if we have a sense that that is true. What you will find is correction from God, not condemnation. In fact, this is what David received, and he received it through a guy named Nathan. Anybody have friends who tell you the truth even when you don't wanna hear it? Anyone, anyone? They're the best, except when they're the worst. <laughs> David was king, he had all the authority. People didn't tell him what he didn't wanna hear except a guy named Nathan, who showed up and said, you've lost yourself. You should read the story, it's in the passage I pointed you to. We need those kind of people. This is David's story in the midst of struggling with depression. God showed up and said, you're not alone. I'm not going to leave you alone until you're back in my direction. God did not give up on David. And he looked at David and he said, you still have a purpose. I still have things for you to do. You haven't wrecked it, it's not over. You are not your worst decision. And there is help and there is hope. 
It came from Nathan and not always in the way that we want and we need those kind of people around us too. Listen, you're not alone, you have a purpose. There is help and there is hope. Now I don't have time to talk about this guy at all so I'm just gonna let you take a picture of this slide. His name's Elijah. But if you've ever had a moment of victory, anybody had an epic like success in your life? Can you call to mind like the highest of high moments? Elijah had one of those and within 24 hours he's crying in a cave wishing he was dead. It happens more often than you'd think. You get there, you arrive, you've climbed the mountain and it is not what you thought. You should look in on Elijah's story. From the heights of success to the depths of despair, isolating, finding himself, God meets him, he cares for him, he supports him, he speaks to him and he surrounds him and guess what he tells him? You're not alone. I see you and I got you. And you still have a purpose. There are places yet to go. And then immediately he sends him to get help because there is help and there is hope. You gotta check it out. Psalm 34 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Maybe it's you and you've needed to hear what we've said so far. Or maybe it's somebody next to you and you need to show up with that truth not in words, but embodied in your presence. We've said it over and over, there is help and there is hope. I haven't talked about clinical depression because truly, I'm not qualified. Be careful about asking the Bible to say what it wasn't written to say. It's not there to diagnose mental health. Diagnosis for that kind of thing is the work of trained professionals and if the systems or the symptoms that you're experiencing are persisting, seek support, yes, from God and his people. Yes, God is with you and yes, God's people are around you and yes, you might need some professional help. Keep praying, God can change it in a moment if he wants to. But I'll just tell you that's not our story. The young woman who walked into a counselor after a friend had earned the right to say, you are sick and you need help, uh, had just delivered her second child, my daughter. We had struggled for weeks thinking, this is postpartum, this will pass, we just need to grit it out. Meanwhile, we were just plummeting. We were cratering. She walked in and every single symptom was a yes all the way for weeks. Hard to even remember a time when it wasn't like that. Even though it was, that doesn't matter. It was hard to remember. The counselor provided some really strong support, some real help. Because of the way she was feeding our daughter, medicine wasn't an option for a time and then it became essential. It was such a challenging season. I remember uh, one day walking in across the threshold of the front door uh, and we had a two-story house and the steps from the first floor to the second floor, I don't know, there's a dozen steps. She must have been on step six. I don't know how long she had been there, but I'll tell you, the crying baby upstairs and the terrified two-year-old downstairs told me she'd been there for a minute. And she'll tell you that she could not find anywhere in her to scrape up enough energy to take another step. She will tell you that there were moments in that time where she just said, I just wish something would happen so that my husband could have a better wife, my kids could have a better mom. 
and I would stop being terrible at everything and hurting all the time. I don't know a lot about how to diagnose clinical depression, but I know a lot about its experience. My wife, over time, got some help, and I'd love to tell you the miracle story, but I'm running out of time. We win a lot more these days than we lose. We found a lot of help along the way. And so I'm willing to just kind of touch the depths of what we experienced so that you know you're not alone. And I'll tell you, not because I can write your story or control your story, but there is help and there is hope. You have purpose and you are not alone. God carried us, sometimes a moment at a time, with just enough to keep going in the grief, in the loss, in the terror, in the insanely unbearable words that were said. In the moments we thought we would never come back from, God carried us. There is help and there is hope. But I just wanna say a few more words to those of you who are standing next to the people because while I don't know the depths of clinical depression, I know the challenge of standing next to someone who that is their lived experience. And make no mistake, we need just as much of God's help to be help and to be hope. Listen, when I stood up almost 25 years ago and said in sickness and in health, I did not know what I was signing up for. but it is a sacred space. It is an exhausting space. It is a defeating space. It is a discouraging place, and I'm not even the one with depression. I can't even imagine what it's like for her. I wish we had Bathsheba's side of David's story. On both sides, whether there is help and there is hope and you need it, or whether you need to show up to be help and be hope, We need God's help. And so I'm just saying right now, whatever seat you might find yourself in today or tomorrow, cling to him. You will find help in the moments that you need it that is not of yourself. Because you need to stay. Unless you are unsafe, you need to, they need you to stay. They need you to be, they don't need you to fix it, but they need you to be there. You gotta show up. If we're gonna be these kind of people in a world ravaged by depression, I so hate depression like all the way. And some days the last thing I wanna do is show up. And some days I don't show up well. But we gotta show up in all of those places to help them into habits, into the sunshine, to get good sleep, to have a good diet, to get the kind of rhythms that are gonna help manage it. They don't always fix it, but they never not help. To offer second thoughts, because in depression, the first thought that occurs to them is crushing and defeating and self-loathing and self-blaming, and they need someone often next to them because they can't scrape a better thought out of themselves. They need someone next to them to offer a better second thought. A counselor once told me this, our life and our experience, our traumas and our hurts often like have so much say over our first thought, we can seldom trust our first thought all the way. He said, but we get a lot of choice in our second thought. 
And let me just tell you, if you're standing next to someone struggling with mental illness, they need a better second thought, and often it needs to come in someone else's voice. We've developed a code over time that she'll just tell me I'm not thinking right. And that's our code for me to lean in and offer a better thought. There's so many ways we've sought help and support from people around, showing up with meals, asking nothing of them. And listen, let me just tell you, I've just told you a ton about our family. Can I just get a head nod? That was like maybe TMI, okay? And so I need your agreement about this. It's not always helpful for people to try up, show up and help, right? You gotta be really discerning about this. And I know a lot of you love us and you wanna jump in and help, but please don't do that unless you know my wife's middle name, okay? That's the password. If you know her middle name, you can reach out to her and offer help. We do way better these days than we used to. We got great community support. Thank you, thank you, thank you, but don't lean in with her and be delicate with me today. I'm a little raw, is that okay? Can we just, can we just get a head nod? We're not gonna make it weird, okay? I've gone too long, but here's the last thing we have to do. We have to pray. We have to pray. We have to pray. This is how we cling to God. It's all I need to do in the depths of the darkest days. I would go to the east side of town, and I had no solutions left. I had no ideas to offer God, and so I would just beg him for Jesus to come back today because I didn't know any other way it was ever going to be better. And so we cling to the hope of his return, but we cling to the hope of his help now. And so we pray and we pray and we keep praying. We pray God for, it to, for him to take it away and I pray that he does. I pray there's a miracle in every single one of your lives, but if he doesn't, we pray to cling to his presence to walk us through it. This week, let's hold on to God and let's stand with one another really, really well. If we can support you in any way, we'd love to. Head over to Canyon Ridge. Org. You'll find everything you need to know along with a way to get in touch with us. And canyonridge.org help has all the resources you might need to seek some additional help for you or the people that you love. If this was helpful to you, I encourage you, share it with a friend and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you soon.